0: Hey guys, it's Liam. I'm here again with Rachel and Heather from the podcast Wine Time. We're here to remind you that part two of last week's story is out now, wherever you get your podcasts. We dove deep into the evidence supporting Darlie Routier's innocence. So if you haven't listened yet, you're missing out. Pause this episode and go check out part two on the Darlie Routier case. But for those of you who are all caught up, here's your next episode of Crime Over Wine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 13th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week I am joined by another fellow newsie, a southern transplant to the beautiful state of Montana. My guest co host this week is Jed Kristoff. Hello, Jed, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Hey, Liam, thanks for having
0: me on. Jed and I met when we were both little baby interns at a TV station in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, Jed is a meteorologist at NBC Montana, where he's a dog dad and also populates his social media with incredible pictures of the sites of big sky country. How's that going for you, Jed?
1: Oh, awesome. It's just absolutely gorgeous out here. I'm actually kind of keeping one eye on this and the other eye on the potential for an aurora tonight, if that happens probably try to get the Northern Lights in a photo or something. So you might see that in a few <laughs>
0: hours, but we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you need to you know, head out, I'll know why you just like, disappear from the podcast. <laughs> because you need to go see some lights. I totally got that. So this week, um, we are drinking Tributes Sauvignon Blanc, which has bold, tropical notes of citrus, grapefruit, and pineapple. The vineyard says the wine pairs well with seafood, Asian cuisine, or just like a night out on the patio. So what do you say we bust it open
1: and get drinking? Sounds good to me and i have something to admit to you as well all okay. right i've probably only had wine about five times in my life i'm not a wine drinker <laughs> okay that's fair that's fair well hey you know what there's a first time or a sixth time for everything right yep exactly
0: <laughs> well cheers to you Jed. thanks cheers. for coming on this week that's pretty good that is really good um i am you know i have to say i'm a red guy everyone who listens to this podcast knows that i'm a red guy But if I drink a glass of white, it's usually a Sauvignon Blanc because I am also a very dry wine kind of dude. And so Sauvignon Blanc is usually my go-to and I'm really digging this one. I definitely, you definitely get the citrus flavors, but you also, it's very, very, very yeah. subtle, very, very light.
1: You know, out of all the wines I've had, I actually really do like this one. Like I'm not just saying that it's pretty good. Would you say like top five
0: liked wines that you've ever had? Definitely.
1: That's <laughs> an easy one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough.
0: Well, let's make like a short transition over to like this crazy story that I'm about to tell you about Jed. I mean, it is absolutely a roller coaster. Um, What do you say to make that
1: transition? Yeah, let's do it.
0: Well, Jed, this week, I want to tell you about how an environmental crisis is exposing the horrors a major American water source has been unknowingly concealing for decades. Severe drought in the West has given some families the answers they've waited for for decades. But for one family, it only gave them more questions. Today, I want to tell you the story of Bobby Eugene Shaw and the bodies in Lake Mead. So, in order to understand the story I'm going to tell you about today, you first need to understand the monstrous water crisis going on in the western United States, quite literally as we speak. And nothing demonstrates that crisis quite as much as the conditions of the country's largest source of water and power, Lake Mead. The Lake Mead area received about 7 million visitors in 2021 and is a water source to about 25 million people in Arizona, Nevada, California, and Mexico. The lake, along with Lake Powell, feeds into the Colorado River. But over the past two decades, as severe drought has gripped the region, these critical sources of water have dried out significantly. It's being caused by a dry spell in the Colorado River Basin, overextraction, extreme heat, and also decreased snowmelt. From May to October of 2022, levels at the bodies of water have fallen to historic lows. Last year, the lakes were about 26% full, the highest level since it was first filled in 1937. To put that into context, in 1983, the lake's height was about 1,225 feet. In the summer of 2022, those levels dropped to 1,040 feet, a drop of nearly 200 feet. Now, that might not sound like a lot of water, but let me put that all into context for you. That translates to about 67 yards down, about two-thirds of a football field, and that equals 5.5 5.5 trillion gallons of water. And Jed, there are some aerial shots of the progression of this drought that I'm going to send to you right now. And we're also going to link
1: to these pictures on our website too. Wow, that is just incredible.
0: That is, Yeah, I mean, I just look at like, even because like the top, so just to describe for listeners, like it shows like a pretty slim lake. I think, I don't know how wide across it goes. Um, actually, it looks like maybe about two to four, four kilometers based on like the little um reference point down there um but you know it shows like a like what looks like a river on top like northern part of the um of this lake flowing into the bottom into the southern part of this body of water which looks like more of a lake area and you know over the last 20 years or so it's dried out i mean there you can't see any water Based on the aerial yeah. photo from
1: 2022. That's crazy. Even in just that one year's time, that is a significant difference.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So true. Yeah. So it's looking at three different pictures. So the all the way to the left is 2000. The middle is 2021. The middle, the right is 2022. Yeah. I mean, like you said. I mean, 2021 to 2022. I mean, I, I literally, I didn't. If I didn't look at the picture I, or the the year, I probably would have guessed. It probably would be you know about ten years out. Yeah. Ish. I mean. <laughs> Uh, it's just, it's crazy how much it's I bad. Mean, it looks like it's just, yeah, so bad. So yeah, it's, ooh, So yeah, that's, it's a, it's rough. And I think it just shows, you know, just, you know, the, and it, even like the surrounding areas too, you can, you can even see how it's just. There's no water being populated to those to, to that land outside of that.
1: And being so close to such a huge city that's a main source mm-hmm. of drinking water, and then you got the farmers, that's a big concern.
0: Yeah. So the drought is so bad in the West right now, about two-thirds of the entire state of New Mexico is under a drought warning of different levels of severity, leading to efforts to limit water use in an attempt to preserve the water still in the lakes, rivers, and tributaries. But luckily for us, we have a meteorologist here to explain all of this. So Jed, <laughs> why is this happening out west? And just how bad is it? And how bad could it get if things continue this way?
1: Well, sure. Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, there's a lot of different things that go into it. A couple of them number one being population growth. I mean, as people move out there and they Mm. use the water and they overuse it, that's a problem. Humans using too much, especially for agriculture. And then uh, also, of course, climate change, you know, higher temperatures, low precipitation, climate change, you've got more extreme events that last longer. So more extreme droughts that are lasting longer, which is exactly what has been going on here. Of course, just due to the increase in greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and people burning fossil fuels and Deforestation and everything, so obviously not a good situation. And if it continues to go on, that's going to lead to some long-term big issues there. You know, you, you may not even have water in Lake Mead in <laughs> another ten years if if things were to go at the rate at they're going right now.
0: Yeah. So I'm looking at I just when you said that I was I was pick I was wondering I was like, "Okay, how many people have actually moved to this area um in this period of time?" Um so I'm looking at um at some data right now and it looks like um going back to 2000, just about a million people yeah. more people live live there now. So I uh, you know, it's it's just crazy how, you know, you you think about the supply demand you know, aspect to to all of this, you know, more people there you know the water has to come from somewhere and okay. if it's not being if it's not being contributed to
1: in the same rate as it's being consumed that's spells trouble right absolutely there's a little bit of good news i do have to say utah has been getting Mm. slammed with snow lately so the snowpack's actually Mm. doing really great out there that's going to help a little bit as that flows into the colorado river and eventually lake mead but i mean that's still just a a tiny dent (laughs) in Mm -hmm. what has already just been a very impressive drop in water level there Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. So, And the drops in water level was becoming so dangerous around this time, and it still is. Federal officials say it could take years to replenish the West water resources. In 2022, the levels dropped about 32 more feet. Environmental experts said if the levels dropped that much this year, power generation would become a significant concern because that would leave some tubes exposed, meaning they couldn't pick up any more water to power resources. It's become such an acknowledged crisis that states that benefit from the lake's water supply are actively trying to slow down its depletion. In 2022, the states of Nevada, Arizona, and California reach a $200 million deal, along with the federal government, to keep water in Lake Mead and the Colorado River Basin. The Las Vegas Sun reported that the agreement consisted of a voluntary reduction plan for users. It's hoping to preserve an additional 500,000 acre feet of water. But in 2020, 23 we're really just waiting to see their effect that may have on the West's largest water source.
1: Hopefully it helps a little bit. And mm-hmm. again, we did get a good bit of precipitation out there this year. So that's good, at least. But mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be
0: it'll be interesting
1: to see what happens.
0: Is there any trend to, to suggest that maybe, you know, was this just a really good winter kind of thing? Or is this possibly, uh, you know, picking back up in a better direction? Or is it just not? Are you not able to tell?
1: yeah too too early to tell, but um i I would assume it's been just a really good winter, especially for California. they've been seeing an mm-hmm. extreme amount of mountain snowfall, and actually mm. um some of the mountains outside of l a were under a blizzard warning not long ago, mm. and that's pretty unheard of, so I think it's just been a very um significant winter, and um mm. you know you can't really expect that to continue to happen year in and year out
0: yeah and I think um fair to say, I guess um you know that it really is going to take. You know, people. You know, doing their part to to you know try to you know at the very least slow this down, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and definitely agriculturally wise as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, not using as much water.
0: Well, so the environmental crisis had already exposed so much. The sinking water levels exposed a World War II-era boat that was apparently used to transport troops to Normandy and a water intake valve from 1971 that can no longer draw water. But that's not all that this crisis was revealing. What is going to surface are decades of secrets that would bring comfort to some, but also alarm so many more.
1: Here we go.
0: Before the water levels had dropped, Lake Mead already had a dangerous reputation. It was known as one of America's deadliest parks. Dating back to the 1930s, the National Park Service says 300 people had drowned in the lake, most of whom had been recovered. But from 2013 to 2022 alone, the owner of a private business that specializes in this kind of work reported pulling 10 to 12 bodies from the lake
1: is that his job he he goes out there and
0: <laughs> like, what? I mean, so <laughs> I don't think, no, so, just to be clear. So he's not like, you know, just like looking around for bodies. Like, I think, <laughs> but he's like, he's, a, uh, I think he owns some sort of like private like um, diving business. Oh, so maybe he looks for like oh just all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, maybe like, evidently bodies is like maybe a part of that, oh. but like not necessarily like the entire, like, it's not like, you know, hire me, like, we'll find your bodies <laughs> kind
1: of thing. My gosh. Imagine going out just scuba diving and, Encountering Mm -hmm. something like that, that'd be terrible. (laughs) Oh man, yeah,
0: seriously. Of course not everyone who had died in Lake Mead was recovered. Families had reported that they knew their loved one had likely drowned in the lake, but their bodies were never found. But what about people whose loved ones had no idea that this may have been their final resting place? On May 1st of 2022, boaters were returning to the docks after a day out on the lake when they heard a scream from the beach. They got back to the shore, tied up, and ran to the source of this commotion. There, they saw a 50-gallon carotid metal barrel stuck in the mud near the popular boat ramp. Inside, they could see clothing, a shirt, and a belt— and then upon closer examination, what appeared to be human remains. Ooh,
1: yeah, no way that could be a drowning.
0: <laughs> no, right? Yeah. In a barrel. I mean, unless you like, I, I do picture like when I was, when I first saw this, I pictured that woman who went over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Um, oh, I don't yeah. know if you heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. So I do picture that and I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's like, just like a weird experiment gone wrong. Um, but that, Spoiler alert, like
1: not the case here. <laughs> Did they find out the cause of death? So the body is
0: in advanced stages of decomposition and easy to believe because they think this man had died between the mid 1970s and the early 1980s based wow. on the clothing he was wearing. Now, in normal circumstances, it would be nearly impossible for a medical examiner to determine a cause or manner of death on a body being underwater for quite literally decades. But in this case, they're able to do that. That's because it's very obvious there is a clear as day gunshot wound directly to the head. A local expert says it had, quote,
1: all the makings of a gang land hit. Wow. So someone definitely murdered this guy and just dropped him into the lake, hoping that the lake, you know, would stay at the level it was at. Right. And then here we have this drought affecting the lake. And 40 years later, here we go. (laughs) You know, that makes me think how many bodies could be in the lakes that I've visited here in Montana? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. Um, when I started reading this,
0: I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm ever, I'm, I'm not a huge lake person to begin with. Um, but I definitely
1: was like, yeah, I'm never, never going a lake ever again after this one. Mm-mm. And I know that obviously they, they clean up the water and everything, but like all the folks mm-hmm. drinking that water, just think about that. Yeah. <laughs> like- yeah. 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 Um, did not that my mind didn't go
0: there. Um, now my mind is definitely going there. Um, yeah, that's really gross, (laughs) really gross. Well, police start creating this narrative of how this man may have spent his final moments nearly 50 years ago. They said he was likely shot in the head execution style and crammed into the drum before it was dropped into the lake. Police said it was very clearly a homicide. A local mob museum said this was historically a mob method of disposing bodies. And coincidentally, around the time investigators had estimated this man likely died, the mob had a stranglehold on the city of Los Angeles, which was, just about a 30-minute drive from Lake Mead. They said the mafia would use casinos and resorts for the purpose of laundering money and specifically would pressure non-union businesses in the area to sign on using scare tactics as an effort to get them to pay up in exchange for protection. So, bottom line...
1: Don't get involved with mafia.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like really picturing like every single stereotypical mob movie I've ever yep. seen. Like when I was reading this, I was like, yeah, this this feels right. Uh,
1: what about the scene of the crime? Did they find anything else?
0: Well, so not far from the barrel, a second barrel is apparently found, but this one had no human remains inside, so it's not totally clear if they're like directly connected. Investigators believe that when these barrels were put into the lake, they were likely submerged about a hundred feet underwater and a few hundred yards from shore. But as levels in the lake dropped, the barrels became exposed. A while later, a journalist called into police because they had found a gun near where the barrels were found, as reported by NBC News. But police say it's not clear if the guns were connected to the body, adding that guns were, like, constantly popping up along the beach, which, like... Totally normal? Okay, like, (laughs) feels like a weird thing. Like, I've been to the beach many times, I know you're a huge beach guy yourself, like... I've never once found a gun and I've never even heard of like a gun popping up on the beach
1: on any beach before. Like, have you ever found a gun? No, definitely. (laughs) Well, actually I haven't found a gun but okay. <laughs> this is actually a complete side topic but uh there was one time okay. a civil war ordinance i think i'm saying that right essentially like an old civil war explosive like washed up on folly and they had to on folly beach south carolina and they had to like mm-hmm. section that entire area off on the beach so they could go like yeah. dispose of it.
0: and that that makes sense like that's like yeah. a very like reasonable thing you know like there are warships all the time like you know decades exactly and <laughs> years later like that washes up after one time like for police to just be like yeah like that happens all the time. Like, okay, like, maybe we should be, like, looking into this a little bit more. (laughs) Seems a little fishy. (laughs) Yeah, definitely seems a little fishy, especially when, like, you're having a lot of bodies pop yeah. up, and like especially like, I don't know about that. It gives me weird feelings. So, the medical examiner's office tried to find any identifying features on the body, which was apparently very difficult because of the advanced stages of decomposition the body was in at this point. The ME didn't find any identifying features, just the clothes that the man was wearing. The medical examiner performed a number of tests, including of course an autopsy and a toxicology, but as far as I can tell, those reports still haven't been completed, or the more likely answer is that they didn't contain anything significant because of the length of time that we're talking about since the man had been killed. The man had become known as the Hemingway Harbor Doe, named after the location where he was found. And the reason that specific identification was necessary is because he was about to be just the first set of human remains that would end up being pulled from Lake Mead.
1: Well, it sounds like I'm going to need
0: another glass of wine. Then. Oh, we're like only halfway through, Jed. Like, <laughs> oh, we're not even there yet. So yeah. So you're like, definitely take a second, fill up the glass because the, I mean, I'm really enjoying this one. It's, um, I am about, I think about like halfway through my first glass. Oh, sweet. Um, and very citrusy, like very, very citrusy. I noticed that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's just, it's just so crazy how you notice the flavors once you become aware, aware of them. Really take a second to like, think about like what you're doing and yeah, like, read the label. Absolutely. Like that is one of the things that I've learned, you know, while, when doing this um, and you know someone told me once they were like if you're going to drink the wine like gonna, you need to know the wine um, and i think that's really important to to you know understand so that way you're not just like tossing them back like you're actually <laughs> like appreciating it
1: i'm glad you did not choose a red wine because i have had red wine before and just i just couldn't mm. even drink it but this is really good
0: so <laughs> Uh, we'll we'll get you there, Jack. Yeah. We'll get you there. I'm more, right.
1: I'm more of a beer drinker.
0: <laughs> okay, fair. I got that from you. I definitely got that from you. All right, so let, what do you say we transition back? Um, there are about a half dozen more bodies that we need to talk about here. Let's do it. So just six days after those barrels were found, a pair of sisters were out paddleboarding on Colville Bay on the complete other side of the lake as Hemingway Harbor. The sisters came across a set of partial human remains in the sand, and it's not clear what exactly the human remains were. I saw some reports that said it was just a jawbone, while others were more ambiguous about the remains. But police did say that the remains were more skeletal than the original body that was discovered on May 1st, which still apparently had skin tissue attached. Hmm. There was apparently enough of the remains for the medical examiner's office to give an age estimate. The ME estimates that this person was likely between the ages of 23 to 37 when they died. And while they're trying to identify who that set of remains belong to, even more remains start popping up. Three more sets of remains are found in the water and on the shore of Lake Mead between July 25th and August 15th, and then two months later, the 6th, and as of the recording of this episode, the most recent discovery of human remains remains. The remains are all skeletal, and they're all described as bones, which kind of tells me that they're, like, pieces of skeletons, like individual bones, not necessarily entire sets of human remains. And so the medical examiner's office says that it's possible that they all belong to one person, but they don't rule out the possibility that they all belong to separate people. And I believe that they're still running tests to figure that out. I mean, that's
1: got to be extremely challenging to figure out who they belong to. They've Mm -hmm. been sitting in water for... I mean, decades. Oh, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, just from, like, like again, like, we're talking about, like, individual bones, like, from what I can tell, like, you know, again, this one report that I saw said that it was just a jawbone. Like, how the heck do you determine how someone died from just a jawbone? Yeah, no kidding. You know, that's
1: just insane. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know how you could ever figure out how they possibly passed away if uh, all you have are just the bones.
0: Yeah, well, so they really can't, like not definitively, of course, but in that original set's case, there was very clear head trauma, of course. Mm -hmm. So that's not so much the case, though, with the rest of the sets. There are no obvious injuries that would point to even an assumption of a cause of death, but they could estimate that some of the bodies were underwater for decades. So the running theory here from police is that most
1: of the victims died from drowning. You know, that makes sense. I'm sure that there's quite a few victims that did drive from drowning, but how could you ever know? Like, no, sure. Yeah, I mean, and with right. it being that close to Las Vegas too, you know, someone could easily mm-hmm. just drive there. It's the first available big area of water.
0: Right. And totally. And I think, you know, I think I mentioned at the top, like 7 million people are there, you know, every year ish. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it, does, it has happened every once in a while. Um, I did mention that statistic up at the top of the, of the, um, episode that said like 300 people-ish are estimated to have drowned. Um, you know, I think they said most of which have been recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also thinking, I'm like, okay, like how, like just, this is just my paranoid brain because like, full disclosure, drowning is like one of my biggest fears. Like, oh. I cannot go that way. You know what I mean? And so I like just th- thinking myself, like, Okay, like if I'm out, like, uh, like how how do you drown and you're just never found? Yeah, you know, like wh- where are they, like what are these family think families thinking?
1: Yeah, it's kind of terrifying to think about. I'm sure a lot of the times mm-hmm. too, it's like a boating accident at night. You know, the worst right. possible scenario.
0: Yeah. Well, so. Like, did you, or did you like, read ahead? Because, like, we're no. about to get to, like,
1: that exact point. <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs> <like>. <laughs> well, all the while, police are trying to identify the victims whose bodies were being revealed by the worst of this worsening environmental catastrophe. And eventually, they get a hit. Three months after the remains were discovered on May 7th, police are finally able to give closure to one family. Through DNA, they are, they positively identify that second set of remains as 42 year old Thomas Ernt of San Francisco, California. Hmm. Thomas disappeared in the water on August 2nd, 2002, when he took his family out for like, Jed, like like the future predictor here, <laughs> mid, uh, midnight cruise on the lake, Caught the family it. <laughs> had a tradition of ta- taking their boat out to the lake on Saturdays to camp, and they would often go riding at night. Well, Thomas jumped into the water, but started drowning. Mm. The family tried to help, but couldn't. When they called police, helicopters and first responders couldn't find him either. And so, for 20 years, Thomas's family classified him as a missing person, until they finally got the... A call to submit DNA samples to determine if they had finally found him after all of these years. Wow. I mean,
1: that's kind of mind-blowing to think about.
0: <laughs> well, and it's also, so like, like the missing person part is like a little strange, I yeah. guess. I don't know. It's like, imagine being like, you know, a wife or, you know, your son, or, or a child or, you know, what have you and you know thinking about like you, like for 20 years like you know that your that your fathers or your loved ones your remains are down there but you can't really like i feel like that has to open a, mm-hmm. up a whole new set of wounds you know because it's like i'm sure they had a funeral and all that stuff but like you know, the casket is empty, you
1: know, because, you
0: know, you know where, you know where they are. And so that, that, that makes me kind of sad.
1: Yeah, that is terrible. What about all the other remains that you were talking about? Did they ever find out who they were?
0: So not definitively, but on one set, they're about to get a pretty good idea, one that could open a whole different can of worms. Out of the blue, the lead investigator on the case gets a call from a woman named Barbara Brock, who says she believes the unidentified remains found in that barrel in May is her brother.
1: Okay, that's a little bit strange, like almost like a red flag. Like, hey, like, by the way... I think that might be my brother. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure because, like, like I've done so many, like, you know, like I'm sure you know, like my like niche reporting is like crime stories, and yeah. so whenever I do any kind of like story, even slightly, you know, tied to that to something like this, I I always get somebody who says, "Hey, you know, I know all, I know all the tea or whatever," <laughs> and they never do. You know, it's like Classic. so. It's like yeah. So it's like they're like people will do anything to get involved in a in a story hmm. and. So I'm sure, like, put, like, investigators are, like, you know, a little bit of a red flag. So the woman tells KVVU, the Fox affiliate in Las Vegas, that her brother was Robert Eugene Shaw and that she hasn't seen him since 1977. Police initially say that the man matches Barbara's description based on the clothes that he was wearing and the limited identifying features that they're able to figure out about him, like his height and general build. But Barbara's story also matches pretty well with what they initially estimated. Barbara says that she last saw Bobby in Fontana, California on May 14th, 1977, the same time frame police believe that this man may have died. Barbara says that the last time she saw him, he was going to Las Vegas with an unidentified friend, and she tells KVVU that she gave up on him being alive a long time ago. She also tells the television station something interesting, that her brother, was a known member of the mafia.
1: Well, there you go. It goes back to my point earlier. Don't get involved with the mafia. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
1: that's a very good, you know, life rule in general. Let's just not do it. <laughs> right, yeah. I
0: think, you know, from episode one, I think we all learned, like, do not get involved in <laughs> cults. Like, okay, cool. Episode four, like, do not get involved in, you know, weird church situations. Yes. <laughs> do not get involved with the mafia. I think that's those are very good
1: life There rules. we go. I thought it was kind of funny how she was just like, oh, side note, by the way, uh, he was a known member of the mafia.
0: Yeah, like very ca- like weird flex. Very very, yep. weird flex, very very weird flex. Very very weird flex. So this was, as I mentioned, a time when the Mafia is basically running Las Vegas. And in 1976, a Las Vegas newspaper reported that Shaw was arrested during a protest on the Strip uh, against the Culinary Union. And this is when some point to a notorious Culinary Union boss named Al Bramlett. Now, there is a lot to dig through on Al. I went through like a massive click hole, but I'll leave all that information to some Mafia podcast to comb through. But basically, Al died in 1977 too in a desert outside of las vegas after he reportedly refused to pay a hitman for a series of bombings on non-union restaurants okay wow he kind of
1: brought that onto himself there like <laughs> i hate to say that but mm. if you're involved in illegal stuff and you're working with people that are doing illegal things maybe pay them
0: <laughs> i'm also picturing like every single episode of the sopranos through this like this literally just reminds right. me of Yeah, like, I'm. this is exactly what I'm picturing, like, the 1970 version of Sopranos. (laughs) So police give Barbara a DNA test to try to match her sample up with this still unidentified doe. But that's pretty much where things stand with that. As far as I can tell, those results are still not back yet. So that family has not gotten the definitive answers they've been waiting for for almost 50 years. But their identity is just one piece of the puzzle here. Another piece of the puzzle is who is responsible for killing him. Regardless of who the man is, there's no disputing that he is a homicide victim, and I'm confident someone out there knows something after all of these years. So if you know anything about this case or any other missing persons case that has even the slightest connection to Lake Mead or the Las Vegas area, call the Las Vegas Police Department, and that number is 702 828 Thirty-one eleven, and we are also going to put that number on our website too how cool would it be if we saw him this crime that would be really cool <laughs> hey you know what? if i keep going you know that's that's one of the reasons why i did this you know is just because i wanted to put these kind of cases out there that no one's really talking about yeah and you know it would it would be neat if you know if, if we can if if somebody out there you know this this catches the right person and you know it, it got to the right people who you know, saw that one thing, remember that exactly. one thing back in nineteen seventy seven that just didn't feel right. I mean
1: you never know, and there's always the chance. So <laughs> there
0: sure is. Um well in twenty twenty three that's pretty much where things stand, but probably not for long. That's because people pretty much universally agree that there are more bodies to be discovered at the bottom of Lake Mead. And with the current environmental crisis there, they say it's only a matter of time before they surface too. Steve Schaefer, who owns Earth Resource Group, an environmental consulting firm, says that these six sets of remains are likely just the beginning. He told Newsweek that he predicts Hundreds of bodies will be pulled from the bottom of the lake every time the water levels drop more and more and more. That's because there are hundreds of legitimate drowning victims who still haven't been found years later. But the question is, how many of those bodies are victims of tragic accidents, and how many could be victims of foul play, just like Bobby. The environmental crisis that is depleting the levels at Lake Mead have this significantly positive side effect at least two families who have found closure or are at least close to it. But it doesn't take away from the true nature of this disaster, and that's that drought that is crippling the western United States. And you can help stop it too. Pretty universally, experts agree that if something doesn't change in 2023, Lake Mead is just a lost cause. But that means it's not too late. We are going to put a range of resources on our website and in our show notes, not only in how you can voice your support for saving Lake Mead, but also how you can do your part to slow the depletion and ultimately save the Earth.
1: You know, I think we're going to have to come back in a couple of years and revisit this. Did they find more bodies in that amount of time? Did Lake oh. Mead actually to gain more water or did it continue downhill yeah.
0: yeah well and i think you know i mean frankly like if it's going the way that it's going to like eventually it's going to dry, dry out altogether so like yeah. at some point like all it those does secrets, not look good yeah so it's you know at some point it's going to be pretty clear as day you know what's at the bottom of the lake yeah. so um it just kind of i mean and it's also it's almost like like i'm almost wondering like like, are they just going to start like searching it? Like, you know, <laughs> literally just dragging the bottom of it. Cause at some point you just have to think like, I don't know. And is it even worth it. You know I mean? I guess if it's True. been so long, like, you know, I mean, it's probably just
1: better to wait, I guess, which almost
0: seems kind of horrible, but
1: it might be, you know, I got on this random YouTube binge one day and there's this guy, I think he's somewhere out in Florida he owns a boat and some sort of I don't really know exactly what it was it was probably sonar or something but he's scanning the bottom of lakes and stuff to see if he can uncover stuff. So maybe they just need to go out there and mm. do that and obviously there's less of the lake to actually need to patrol, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah, I mean I, I mean you can it sounds like you could do this every year and you'll probably right? find more and more and more. You, so it's just, yeah, it's I mean, that's crazy, and you know, it, and it sounds like you know, i don't I don't know what this guy that uh, this like diver dude is doing, um, like what his is like main purpose is, but it sounds like maybe there are even people out there already doing that, hmm. um, and you know, are just waiting for it, like I don't know, it's just it's crazy to me, I guess that it just is a waiting game, I suppose yeah. for. You know, these, these drowning victims are just pure and they, and, you know, maybe, you know, some, uh, you know, an occasional homicide or two. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, it just, it just blows my mind. And I mean, I just can't imagine that like, you know, just again, I'm a, I'm a crime freak. And so it's like, you know, thinking about, you know, this guy who whoever did this to to you know potentially bobby you know clearly didn't go far enough right. you know to to conceal it you know and so i'm wondering like how many people did go far enough like went for, far enough to make sure this person was never found you know and it's just sitting at the bottom of the lake
1: waiting to be discovered on one hand I'm like I almost want it to dry up so we can find out you know I'm really curious but on the other hand that's so bad like we can't have that happen (laughs) oh
0: I am so right there with you Jed I am like I am having a a serious moral crisis here (laughs) the crime lover in me wants like more episodes and so I really (laughs) like need to know who else is at the bottom of the lake but then like the moral like environmental you know save the earth side of me is like okay like no we actually need to put more water back in that lake like you
1: know exactly
0: well that is all that we have for you this week jed thank you so much for coming on and joining us yeah talking about you know everything (laughs) to do with the
1: environment and you know weird you know body is being discovered yeah, thanks for having me on this has been awesome seriously really enjoyed it
0: Well oh, i have to have you on again um but in the meantime tell everyone
1: where they can find you and also your work online yeah um so i'm on twitter i pretty much just use twitter mainly <laughs> i use instagram a little bit too but twitter is at jed M-B-C-M-T. And uh, Instagram is at Jed Christophe Photo. I hope we haven't held you up too
0: much to see those lights. Um, <laughs> but if you if you want to go see some of that, like that, you know where to find Jed now. It's sure. on there.
1: It's on there. <laughs>
0: all right. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And thank you all so much for listening. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we will see you next week for another episode of Crime Over.